0: Welcome to the Ovarian Cancer Education Podcast, a podcast centered around a cancer diagnosis and what that means. A podcast created to help physicians and patients learn from each other, connect, and share stories and knowledge. Today's episode will focus on nutrition and cancer care. We're going to talk to cancer survivor Karen, who will share a little of her story. We'll also be joined by two dietitians, Samantha Kabbalah with West Michigan Cancer Center, and Amy Bragagnini with Mercy Health St. Mary's. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance that you or a loved one have been diagnosed with ovarian cancer, which can be a scary and uncertain time. This podcast will help provide information and insight, but there are a wealth of other resources out there for you, and we have included some of those resources in the show notes for this episode. We have also helped develop a patient navigation line with the state of Michigan to help patients find gynecologic oncologists. The phone number for that line is 1-844-446-8727. Let's start off by meeting Karen. Karen was diagnosed in 2006. She didn't
1: make any major changes at first. Oh, in my treatment at this point, it's about five years since the second diagnosis, I am on a maintenance dose of an oral chemo med, and I am on a maintenance dose that goes with that med, uh, one injection per month. And that's, that's pretty much where we are. My tumor markers have been going up in the last few months, but I've had several tests, CT, bone scan, and they have all been clear. So we're a little (laughs) puzzled. As I remember, I really didn't change much. Just um, in the beginning of the treatment starting, I was nauseous, felt like I had the flu just for the first few days. And so, of course, modified my eating at that point. But when I got back to feeling good, I really did not make big changes. Karen,
0: like many recently diagnosed cancer patients, didn't know much about dietitians and how important nutrition would be as she moved through her journey with cancer. Samantha can tell us a bit more about what a dietitian does.
2: As a dietitian in cancer care, I work really closely with um, patients as they're going through treatment to help manage some of those undesirable side effects of treatment. So working with patients who are you know, experiencing nausea because of radiation to the stomach or the pelvic region, working with patients to manage dysphagia, which is considered pain and difficulty with chewing or swallowing. So in the ovarian cancer world, that might not necessarily be a common side effect because of the region that radiation occurs. But in the head and neck cancer population, for instance, that would would be a really common side effect.
0: You might be wondering how a dietitian is different from a nutritionist. Many people aren't sure what that difference really is. Amy can tell us more about that.
3: There is a difference between a registered dietitian and a nutritionist. And most of my career, people get the two terms messed up and I'm called a nutritionist. The main difference is that a registered dietitian has to complete a bachelor's degree that's accredited by the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Once that's complete, the dietitian has to have about 1,200 hours of dedicated practice in the world of nutrition, complete a dietetic internship, and then pass a board-registered exam to become a registered dietitian. And then in my field, it's necessary to complete 75 hours of continuing education every five years. I specialize in oncology when I was offered the position right after I began my career. I was very nervous at first when I got into the field of oncology, but I quickly realized that this is absolutely a dream job. And I feel that patients undergoing treatment for cancer have so much interest in learning about nutrition And I feel like my education and my time with patients really adds to their life. Samantha can
0: explain how the word nutritionist is sometimes used more generally.
2: In general, registered dietitians are who you're going to work with if you're referred by a doctor. They're going to be the ones in the hospitals that are coming to see patients. A nutritionist may or may not have formal training or education in nutrition. There is a certified nutrition specialist credential. This is, however, different than being an RD or a registered dietitian. There are, I'm finding, more and more kind of with all the social media presence, there are many, many people who call themselves a nutritionist but aren't necessarily dietitians, don't have that certified nutrition specialist credential. These people might be recipe bloggers or recipe photographers who do a lot of reading about nutrition. Fitness influencers on social media like to use the word nutritionist pretty liberally. Personal trainers sometimes will tack on nutritionist. So just kind of being cognizant when you are wanting to work with a registered dietitian or a nutritionist of kind of what your goal might be.
0: As far as nutrition is concerned, there's before, during, and after cancer treatment. A lot of patients have questions about how their diet before cancer diagnosis might have linked to the fact that they got cancer in the first place. Here's what Amy shares with her patients.
3: Many times I get patients in my office and they lament that they might have caused their own cancer. They'll tell me what terrible diets they've followed in the past and how they're sure that their eating habits led to their current cancer diagnosis. I try to assure them that many things can lead to a cancer diagnosis and it's typically not just one thing. And then I try to focus on how we can move forward. Now that they have a diagnosis, it's prime opportunity to make some changes in their diet to extend their life, to improve the tolerance of their treatments, to improve their energy levels. A lot of these patients are captive audiences, and they're willing to really try to make some sustainable changes in their eating habits moving forward. Amy's advice helps keep people in the present instead of focusing on
0: the past. Treatment can be a taxing experience. Cancer treatments can affect a person's nutritional status in a variety of ways.
3: Treatments might affect taste, smell. It might lead to a low appetite someone might have GI dysfunction, and overall just taste changes, these side effects can generally lead to malnutrition. And that's what I try to focus on in helping someone that is malnourished obtain the right amount of nutrients to sustain their health. Patients that are malnourished tend to be weak and tired, and they have a decreased quality of life. So our goal
2: is to help prevent
3: malnutrition with treatment.
0: Samantha can go into a little bit more detail for us.
2: One patient receiving a chemotherapy drug might experience terrible nausea and vomiting, while the next patient receiving the exact same drug might not experience that. So in this way, the treatment that a patient receives can drastically impact a patient's nutrition, but it might also impact a patient's nutrition differently from one patient to the next. So I feel like nausea, vomiting, loss of appetite are really common side effects that you hear and are common amongst a number of different chemotherapies. These are side effects that are obviously going to impact your nutritional status. If you're throwing up or if you're not hungry, it's going to be hard to maintain good nutrition throughout the course of treatment. Mouth sores is another really unpleasant side effect of doxal and taxol are the, are the two chemos that are, are commonly thought of when I think of mouth sores. And these are chemotherapies that are used to treat gynecologic cancers as well. If your mouth is in pain or if you're in pain because of mouth sores, it is going to be hard and it's going to be less appealing to go and have a nice big meal.
0: Some patients experience very few of these side effects. Karen for instance wasn't particularly focused on nutrition at first. At
1: first I really didn't focus very much on nutrition. That was not really addressed, but as we got into well into the treatment, a couple people at the oncology office told me about a nutrition class that was offered and it was weekly, and if you joined, it was for life. As long as you were in the area, you could go back to a class for a refresher or whatever. And I joined that. It was pretty expensive, and I had to self-pay, but it seemed like it was worth it. It was more general, but if you had any questions, you could ask them, and they would focus either at the beginning or at the end of the class on your specific concerns. As I remember, I didn't identify them, but it was all first name and very, very casual. There was no discussion of our lives or what was happening or whatever. It was strictly the class content. There was a dietician and a therapist, and they ran it together. It was great. As Karen said,
0: nutrition is key every step of the way. Whether or not a patient is about to have surgery, is recovering from surgery, or is in the middle of any other treatment, like chemotherapy, proper nutrition can have a huge impact on a patient's experience and recovery.
2: Providing the body with adequate nutrition and hydration during and after cancer treatment is very, very crucial Cancer, unfortunately, is what we call a catabolic illness. So it's extremely energy demanding. Patients often will present with unintentional, unexplained weight loss Even prior to a cancer diagnosis, I've seen many, many patients come in and say, I haven't changed anything. I haven't changed the way I've eaten. I haven't started doing any more exercise and I've just been losing weight for no reason. And unfortunately, that's usually what prompts some kind of workup and is how the cancer is identified. For this reason, calorie and protein needs are fairly high amongst patients who are diagnosed with cancer and are receiving cancer treatment. If as you're going through treatment or even after treatment, you're not giving your body adequate nutrition, your body has no choice but to break down that muscle and that fat, which can lead to the malnutrition.
0: Working with a dietitian at your practice can really help guide the way for proper nutrition and hydration. Karen felt that it really helped her.
1: The dietitian that I saw was wonderful. She was vegan. She never pressured me or there was no judgment. I thought I was really knowledgeable, and it turns out I wasn't. I didn't know very much about grains, whole grains, and she taught me a lot about the different grains. A real benefit of her was that she introduced me to a lot of new products that I didn't know existed, healthy but yet easy and quick products. It was COVID, so I hadn't been in a grocery store for a couple of years because of compromised immunity. My husband did the grocery shopping. So that was very helpful that she could tell me that I was very low on grains and that I could work them in this way. She also gave me modified recipes for normal things that I would make, but that were made a little healthier. And I had never really bothered with that before. But when I started doing it, it was kind of fun. And I still use those recipes. And I blamed, which is not a very good term, but I felt that the chemotherapy was responsible. And still on the maintenance chemo now, after I get a shot, it takes me two or three days to really be hungry or to think oh, I would like to eat this. It's just about anything that I think of is like, oh, I don't want that. Oh, I don't want that. So I think that even at this late date, the meds are still impacting my appetite quite a bit.
0: Dietitians who work with cancer patients know how to really focus on the potential problems that could happen. Here's how Amy works with her patients.
3: It's my job to help patients maximize their nutrient intake during the treatment process. I first start with encouraging that patients consume a variety of foods. I encourage them to choose foods from every food group to make sure that they're obtaining all of the vitamins and minerals and micro and macronutrients that will best support their immune system and their overall health. Sometimes patients might need to change the way that they typically eat during treatment in order to maximize their nutrient intake. If patients are used to eating just three meals a day, I might recommend that they take in smaller, more frequent meals in order to obtain all of the nutrition that they need during treatment. They might need to add a few snacks or even a supplement drink just to make sure they're hitting all of their nutrition goals.
0: Working with a dietitian. Can also be important for patients who aren't just dealing with cancer.
1: Karen for instance also has diabetes. I am also a diabetic so if I don't eat I can't take my pills or my meds and so I make myself eat. Sometimes it's just crackers and cheese and a couple slices of apples or something that would not normally be considered a meal but it's something in my stomach and it's something fairly healthy so that I can keep on my medicine protocol. Samantha
0: and Amy, as dieticians, frequently need to address more than one thing with the cancer patients they help.
2: So common comorbidities in addition to cancer might include diabetes or cardiovascular disease, congestive heart failure, chronic kidney disease. These are all things that I see in addition to, to the cancer pretty frequently. I would say that type 2 diabetes might be the most prevalent. Obviously, I am really focused on keeping patients' weight stable during during cancer treatment. If a patient comes in and is not eating super well because of nausea or just loss of appetite altogether, but they're a type 2 diabetic, I might place a bigger or a greater emphasis on getting calories from protein or fat than I would getting them on carbs. So rather than suggesting mashed potatoes or mac and cheese as a side with the baked chicken at dinner, I might suggest like cheesy quinoa. So the quinoa is a, is, a, is a starch, yes, but it is a good source of protein.
0: Each patient, each body is going to need tailored advice, like Samantha just mentioned. There are some general recommendations, though, that dietitians offer.
3: There are a few general recommendations that I would suggest for patients to follow before, during, and after treatment. Before treatment, I encourage patients to make sure they are adequately hydrated, that they have a fully stocked refrigerator with a variety of foods, During treatment, I assess to see if they're having any nutrition-related side effects and then make some recommendations for how they should stock their refrigerators and whether or not they should begin taking oral nutrition supplements. Many times during cancer treatment, I find that a person's overall nutrition needs do increase. So a person might need more calories, protein, and nutrients than they did before they started treatment. And if this is the case, then a patient definitely needs to make sure that he or she has the right amounts of protein-filled foods, the right amount of complex carbohydrates, and adequate hydration sources on hand to make sure they're adequately fueled during cancer treatment. After cancer treatment, my job is to help patients manage any lingering side effects, Hopefully the person is feeling more like themselves and the nutrition requirements aren't necessarily as high as they were when they're getting their treatment. And then after treatment, hopefully we can focus on more cancer prevention discussion and deal with less acute side effects. Amy added that fad diets exist everywhere on the internet. It is very easy for someone with cancer to seek out information on the internet and they might stumble upon websites that encourage that they follow specialized unique diets. Sometimes the information is sound and it has some good recommendations. Unfortunately, sometimes the recommendations aren't nutritionally sound and that's where as a dietitian I need to step in and really review what plan they're thinking of following and maybe help steer them in the direction of health. So for example, there are specific regimens that you can read about on the internet. Some of them include consuming anywhere from 10 to 15 pounds of fruits and vegetables a day, coupled with castor oil enemas, coffee enemas, lots and lots and lots of water. The balance of nutrients in this case, is not safe for the patient, and it's my job to help educate the patient on why some of these recommendations might actually be more harmful than good. On the flip side, several nutrition eating plans have been researched and are possibly up and coming in the cancer world. It's also my job to review what might be coming down the pipeline to help patients determine if a certain plan is right for them.
0: I also asked Amy and Samantha about nutritional supplements. Amy doesn't necessarily have patients start taking supplements right away.
3: Sometimes situations come up in treatment that might necessitate a supplement. For example, if someone is getting chemotherapy and their appetite is very poor and they find themselves consuming far less than normal, a good multivitamin might be recommended. Somebody that may be getting radiation therapy, say, to their ovarian area in their pelvic region, might become dehydrated because of diarrhea. So at that point, electrolyte-replacing supplements might be necessary. And this could be Pedialyte or Gatorade. Sometimes oncologists will also prescribe certain supplements if someone is deficient in any category. Samantha
0: finds that frequently patients already have supplements or herbal remedies in mind when they come to her.
2: So first thinking about herbal supplements, a lot of patients come to me with a long list of herbal supplements, things like turmeric or ginseng or St. John's wort. I tend to encourage my patients to meet their nutrient needs through whole foods. That being said, A lot of my patients will use a multivitamin, or here in Michigan, a lot of us supplement with vitamin D or calcium. Those are usually my kind of exceptions when it comes to supplements in pill form, I guess I should say.
0: And when it comes to what specific foods to recommend, what to limit, or to
3: really focus on, here's what Amy shares with her patients. I try to focus more on helping the patient hone into what they can eat versus what they can't eat. And I also use the word limit or moderate versus avoid. For example, many times I encourage patients to reduce or moderate their overall sugar intake. That doesn't mean that they can't have the occasional dessert or sweet treat, but as a whole, limiting foods with added sugar is just overall best practice when they're undergoing treatment. I also encourage patients to limit excess intake of fried foods, overly processed foods, and limit intake of red meat and processed meats. In addition to speaking with patients about what foods I think they should limit during treatment, there's a bounty of foods that I would absolutely recommend for patients during treatment. Patients need to consume adequate fruits and vegetables to obtain healthy nutrients during their cancer care. Adequate hydration is very important, along with consuming adequate lean protein sources like boneless, skinless chicken, eggs, dairy, and nuts and beans. And some helpful advice from Samantha.
2: During cancer treatment, the best ways to really maximize nutrients in the diet are, I always say, honestly, it sounds so simple, but eating a varied diet. So the more colors in your diet, the better. If you are consistently day in and day out eating baked chicken, broccoli, and brown rice, it's certainly a healthy meal. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but you're only getting the nutrients that are in chicken, broccoli, and brown rice. So, you know, having the chicken, the broccoli, the brown rice, but then maybe the next day having a stuffed bell pepper, you know, and adding some color to that diet, that is certainly going to maximize the nutrition in your diet. The two foods I think of when I think of really kind of the most bang for your buck are smoothies and soup. A smoothie can consist of multiple servings of fruits or vegetables, which then with that will come lots of fiber, typically. And the smoothie might also provide a decent amount of protein. Protein might come from Greek yogurt or soy milk or a nutrition supplement like Boost or Ensure or just a spoonful of peanut butter. So a smoothie itself could really pack a punch. Soup also is going to come or is going to provide a decent amount of protein depending on the content of beans or chicken or ground turkey or quinoa. So those are just two examples, smoothies and soup that kind of come to mind when I think about foods that really pack a punch and really kind of offer patients the most bang for their buck.
0: Dietitians like Samantha and Amy, who are able to focus on cancer patients specifically, may not be available at every practice. Amy has some suggestions for that.
3: Not all cancer centers are blessed to have dietitians on their staff. So, if you're undergoing treatment at such cancer center and are interested in speaking with a dietitian on this topic, I would recommend going to the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics website, which is eatright.org. There, you can click on the link, find an expert. There likely is an oncology dietitian in your area, and he or she may be able to point you to a dietitian in the outpatient practice that is accepting new patients. Also, the American Cancer Society is another organization that might be able to pair you up with a dietitian to help answer some of your questions.
0: Samantha can also offer up some helpful resources for people who can't find or haven't found a dietitian yet.
2: Online resources that I have found that have great information are the American Institute for Cancer Research, the National Cancer Institute, the American Cancer Society. But there's also disease or diagnosis-specific resources that are going to offer information or programming or support groups specifically for a certain cancer diagnosis. So, for instance, there's the Foundation for Women's Cancer, which is obviously going to be those gynecologic cancers, but also also breast cancer. One example is the Michigan Ovarian Cancer Alliance, MIOCA. Other than gynecologic cancers, PANCAN is the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. Susan G. Coleman is one that we're all really familiar with. It's the Breast Cancer Organization. So if you're looking for information a little bit more specific or if you're looking maybe for programs or for resources or for support groups, it might be a good way to go about finding people or resources that are more well-versed in what it is you're going through.
0: Using family or friends as resources can also be extremely helpful. Karen found that her family was very supportive
1: my family is great. My husband will eat anything. I have a grown daughter who lives here with me. If she doesn't like what I'm having, she's not a seafood person, then she will cook her own meal simultaneously or just before, just after, and still eat with us. But they're, they're very supportive. I have supportive friends. A few of them are diabetic, so they know what the protocol is. Of course, meeting
0: nutritional needs can sometimes be expensive. Amy and Samantha have found a variety of resources to help with that.
3: Many cancer centers have internal programs that are built in to help patients that are battling food insecurity. I recommend seeing if your cancer center has a oncology social worker or a financial navigator that might be able to help you navigate through what resources are available? Registered dietitians can also be helpful in recommending various foods that
2: can fit within your budget. Cancer treatment can be extremely, extremely burdensome financially. Nutrition is crucial, nutrition is not really an optional part of your cancer treatment. So, finding a way to meet your nutrition needs while being on a budget can be really tricky. There are several different options or several different resources out there. One that I actually just recently stumbled upon is called Mom's Meals. And this is a program that serves clients who are covered under Medicare Advantage plans, Medicaid plans, and the Older Americans Act. So it's interesting because it actually is covered by many insurance plans. They are meals that are ready to eat, frozen or refrigerated that are actually designed by dietitians. They are renal-friendly if that's necessary for you. They might be heart-friendly if you have any kind of heart conditions. They might be diabetes-friendly if you're a diabetic. So these are a really nice way if you're tired after treatment and cooking a meal is not really in the cards. Meals on Wheels is another program that is commonly used by patients. It's typically for adults 60 years and older, typically for those who are homebound or having a difficult time shopping or preparing food themselves. But it does seem that each program in each county kind of has different requirement or different eligibility requirements. So that would definitely be something to consider. So that's another really nice option for patients who may be having a more difficult time with meeting those nutrition needs. The last thing that I usually will recommend as a less expensive meal or food idea is soup, actually. Soup is something that you can make in a large quantity. You can make it on Sunday if you know you're going to be getting chemotherapy on Monday or Tuesday. You can make it and have several meals from that one pot of soup. And a lot of times, those homemade soup recipes are really nutrient dense, but can also be done relatively inexpensively. So maybe using canned or frozen ingredients instead of fresh, using a can of beans or canned tomatoes or even canned corn instead of the fresh stuff, using prepared broth instead of making your own chicken broth. So it's easy, it's nutrient dense, and like I said, it can be done relatively inexpensively as well.
0: And finally, some closing thoughts from Karen. Just
1: try to stay positive. You can do this. You can get through it. It's not easy. Some days are hard, but other days are good in contrast, and you can do it. And... If, in terms of nutrition, you junk out one day and totally blow it, let it go. Start over the next day. The numbers will be better the next day after you do that. And just kind of, I am learning. I'm not there yet, but I'm learning that, sorry, you just have to let some stuff go. I was a person who had to have everything done and everything done ahead of time and everything organized, and there are days I can't manage that. And especially the day or two after my shots, I have joint pain and bone pain, and I I can't do it. And so for one thing, I don't plan strenuous things for those couple days after this shot. And if something comes up and I can't manage it, I don't manage it it's just how it is. That has been a hard thing to come to, but it works. Wonderful advice.
0: If you're interested in any of the resources mentioned during this episode, don't forget to check out the show notes. As a reminder, this episode can be found at any major podcast app or at www.ovariancancerpodcast.com. We hope this helps you feel like you are not alone and that there is help available for you. We're hoping to shed some light on issues that some patients experience to help educate and support. Remember that your physician's office is an invaluable resource. They are there to help and support you, and it is okay to ask for that help. As we find or develop resources, we will continue to share them. Thank you again for joining us. If you wish to leave feedback or offer suggestions for this podcast, please email m o q c at moqc.org or call 1-866-438-6672. The information contained herein is information only. Users are solely responsible for all medical care and services delivered to their patients and all decisions related to such medical care and services. Neither MOXIE nor the Regents of the University of Michigan shall be responsible for any delivery of medical care or other services to any patient or any decisions, acts, or omissions of persons in connection with the delivery of medical care or other services to any patient.